Welcome to Heroes of Brand Protection, Podcast Episode 5. Welcome back to another episode of Heroes of Brand Protection Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Shapiro, Vice President of Brand Relations at Redpoints, the world's fastest growing brand protection solution with a mission to make the internet safer for both brands and consumers. In these podcasts, we will share stories and industry insights from some of the leading experts in brand protection from many different industries. We are so happy you could join us today. Please check out all of our episodes on www.redpoints.com forward slash podcast. Today, we are thrilled to be speaking with Evan Feldstein, Vice General Manager and General Counsel at Ferreo, who will share with us his personal story and how he wanted to be an NBA player, but in college he realized that law, specifically patent law, was the path he wanted to follow. Interestingly about Evan, he's a huge fan of the movie Gladiator. You may want to guess how many times this gentleman has watched the movie Gladiator. So, Evan, uh, thank you for joining us today. We're thrilled to have you uh, as part of our podcast series. Thank you very much, Daniel. I'm very excited to be here and really appreciate the opportunity. Great. Well, listen, I thought what we do is just as a quick introduction, uh, Evan, uh, as the uh, Vice General Manager and General Counsel for Ferreo, one of the things we'd been wondering about is for you to do your job, does it take you like a one, two, three? How many coffees does it take you to get the day going? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sort of in the minority with this one, but I don't drink coffee at all. I'm, I'm possibly the only person at the office who doesn't. And in fact, I'm, I'm ridiculed on a weekly basis at a minimum uh, about the fact that I drink zero coffee and I don't drink tea either. So caffeine in the morning is not something that, that I usually go for. But, you know, I, at lunchtime, like a Diet Coke kind of deal. But, but generally, it's just this is just pure Evan, Daniel. Cold glass of water gets you going, huh? Uh, you're not, you're not wrong right here. And for the people who can't see, I'm holding up a cold glass of water. So Daniel was right. All right. Listen, well, listen, you're working the desert in Las Vegas. So perhaps that's the thing to do is to start with cold water. Got to stay, got to stay hydrated, especially in Las Vegas. You know, got to, got to keep hydrated all the time. How about you? How many cu- cups of coffee do you have in the morning, Daniel? Uh, well, I, I have to start like right out the gate with one. And then generally, uh, because I start a little bit earlier, I have to have a second one by like 10 a.m. So, and then a little espresso in the afternoon. So that's how I roll. Okay. Uh, so what what do you think, Evan, as it relates to some of the uh, work and life experience you've had uh, in your career? Is there something that stands out as, you know, one of those, you know, I don't know, inspiring, funny mo- moments that you look back on and, it might not have been funny at the time, but certainly funny when you look back on it. Sure. I mean, there are a couple. And I would say the first thing that comes to mind when I would say inspiring is probably the first time um, that I was able to, to really travel outside of the United States uh, for work, which would have been three years ago this month. It would have been February of 2018 when uh, myself and, and Becky Hoja, the current general manager, but prior uh, head of sales at Freo, as well as, as his counterpart that uh, works in our European office, um, we got to travel to Paris to meet with the higher ups at, at uh, Sephora and LVMH to try and put together sort of a branding co-opportunity that, you know, they at the time I was not the vice general manager, but was merely the lawyer. And I was there to advise on a trademark basis, basically trying to figure out ways to license the rights. But, you know, it sort of really hit me at that point where, you know, I'm working for, you know, a big time company that that's really going into these, you know, large, interesting deals with with, you know, 
global superpowers in the beauty industry. And that was something that was really interesting to me and, and really, um, you know, it's something that I'll remember for the rest of my life and really enjoy. A second would be when I first visited um, the manufacturing facilities of Freo products in Suzhou, China. This would have been August of 2016. Um, you know, I sort of had sort of an, an impression of, you know, you know, who knows what it's going to be like. I'd never been to China. I'd never really been to a, a manufacturing facility outside the U.S. And even within the U.S., it was very much, you know, I'd seen like a G plant when I was eight years old at a uh, school field trip. But to see just the, the innovation and the, the, you know, futuristic nature of this plant in Suzhou that, that we're able to purchase these products from. And, you know, um, it, it was just a, an extraordinarily interesting, you know, life experience for somebody who was relatively young. I was 28 at the time. And, and really getting able to see this, this international side was, was very, very interesting. That's awesome. And um, I suppose uh, you, you, you learned to uh, dress up a little bit when you went to those meetings in Paris. You didn't have the sweatshirt. No, no, did not, did not do the COVID special, like, you know, throwing a jacket over whatever you happen to be wearing that day in order to try and look impressive mm-hmm. on it. Um, but, you know, when you go to Paris, of course, you're wearing the full suit and everything like that. But, you know, it's, it's gotten kind of interesting. You know, at some level, you know, I never thought I would say this because I started at a law firm. And then prior to that, you know, I grew up, my, my dad was a lawyer, so I would go to his law firm all the time. And, you know, when I would go to my dad's law firm or the, you know, federal court where I was a clerk or, or the U.S. attorney's office where I was a clerk for a period of time, um, full suit every day. And it was like an enormous annoyance for me because I, I lived in Miami, then I lived in Arizona. Um, Ohio in the summer. I mean, it was hot and humid and in Arizona, very dry and hot. Um, the, the first thing I wanted to do was I'm never working in a job where I have to wear a suit again. And then at this point, I'm wearing, like like you said, jeans and a sweatshirt to work because nobody else is here except for a few people. And I'm sort of like, I kind of, kind of wouldn't mind dressing up or having an excuse to do it. So luckily I did half and half for you today, Daniel. Hey, listen, that's, I appreciate it, Evan. Uh, you You inspired me as well. Uh, uh, thank you. Sort of stepping back, uh, you know, as a, as a young man, what did you want to be when you grew up? Or, or maybe even now as an adult uh, uh, man, what do you want to be when you grow up? I mean, when I was very young, I think uh, the answer would have been like a, an NBA player. But I think I saw the, the writing on the wall by the time the age of like seven hit that, that you know, that wasn't going to happen. Um, you know, it, it's I didn't really have that overarching goal like some children do when they say, I want to be an astronaut or I want to be a doctor or I want to be. A lawyer. It was sort of, you know, I, I had a, a number of interests. I did things ranging from, you know, sports like you know basketball and tennis in high school to I did plays and I did mock trial and I just kind of did a little bit of everything. Um, didn't have a specific goal in mind until I was probably like a sophomore, junior in, in in college when I, you know, I sort of became more interested in the law. I think when you're a child and your dad is a lawyer, you sort of naturally want to push back and say, ah, that you know, a boring job. That's what old guys do, kind of thing. But um, you know, that by the time I got to college, I, I really had gotten into neuroscience, which was my major, um, and had sort of explored mentally, hey, maybe patent law is something I'd be interested in, which obviously works very well with brand protection. And and eventually, I just sort of, um, you know, through a little bit luck of the draw, as well as the fact that I, and I was able to talk to some other lawyers and, and determine that patent law was right for me. And, and by the time that I was a patent law intern, we called it at the ASU College of Law, um, I, I figured out that's what I really wanted to do. And and um, it's actually been great because, you know, as, as you kind of joked, you know, what do you want to do now that you're a little bit older? I sort of thought I, I really wanted to stay in that general counsel, just the, the lawyer side, but I'm actually thoroughly enjoying the last little over two years, um, the business and the general management side. So it's, you know, I think like everybody else, it sort of evolves over time. But, um, 
you know, I wish I could say something interesting like a rock star or uh, an acrobat or something, but, you know, and this part you can maybe edit out, Dan, you know, Jewish guys have tight hamstrings. I don't think there are any acrobats or NBA players. <laughs> yeah, we may edit that out. Uh, but uh, that's, it's a great story of it. Uh, so, so how did you get there? You know, as a, as you were a sun devil, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, how do you get from uh, where you were thinking of going to, you know, getting to be where you are today? What was that career path? How did you, sure. how did you turn those things into what you're at today? Um, well, part of it, like anybody, it's, it's, you know, you try and set a goal and you work towards it and the other side is luck. So, so on the one hand, I knew that IP law was something I was very interested in, um, just sort of through, you know, some connections or luck of the draw. I, I was able to, to obtain a position doing like 95% IP law in Toledo, Ohio, where I grew up. Um, learned from from somebody named Matt Buchanan, who was a, a really good mentor for me for for almost two and a half years, and really was interested in the you know patent side and learned a ton and and learned a lot about patents and trademarks and how to deal with clients and how to you know try and make make a complex area of the law relatively understandable for for people who are maybe not so inclined to get into the specifics about patent law. Um, you know, after a while, I just sort of thought it was time for a new opportunity, essentially, and. And, you know, applied to a few places and, and had a couple options. Um, one of them was Foreo, of course. And and when I first started Foreo, I was, you know, I, I, it was a sort of funny. I tell the story to everybody. But, you know, the first day I got there, um, the, the general manager at the time was a, was a guy named Davor Soldo. The president was named Pavla Sedic. And they both forwarded me about 25 emails, like, the first morning I got there and said, well, okay, set up the legal department. You're the lawyer. Like, you know. So, so for the first couple months, it was very much doing everything from, from square one. And, and it was, you know, very interesting. And, and I think I got sort of lucky in that Davor um, either noticed some potential or, or, or I bothered him into submission. I just kind of constantly was asking, can I go to the finance meeting? Can I go to the sales meeting? Can I check out at the marketing meeting and, and trying to learn as much as I could about, you know, different areas of the company and the business. And, you know, that, that sort of paved my way for when Davor was, um, when Davor moved to Japan to, to go work to sort of be promoted into that second in command role that, that Becky sort of previously had. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's sort of been a little bit of a winding path, but it's, it's been interesting. And, and for me, you know, it's very, very, you know, it, it's nice to, it gives a, a much larger perspective, even on the legal side, when you're thinking much more about the business than, than when you're just siloed in your little legal department and it's like sales and, and legal sort of saying, we need this term in the contract and sales saying, no, we don't, you know, it, it, it helps you kind of get a, a larger view of things. That's awesome. It's a great story. Listen, I think that, you know, for, for many people, right, they don't necessarily know their career path. It sort of comes to them as they, uh, as they, you know, push forward in their business and in their, you know, what opportunities show up while they're working. And so uh, certainly yours sounds like that, right? As you, as you planned it out or as you planned it out or as you worked it out either way, right? Yeah, I sort of plan on the fly. Uh, maybe for those of us who who don't know, uh, for those who who are listening who may not know Foreo, tell us a little bit about the business, uh, where it's headquartered. You mm-hmm. know, um, you know all those kind of maybe business stats that are you're comfortable sharing, uh, so that people in the audience understand the kind of business you're in. Sure. Uh, so just on a, on a very top level, Foreo as a brand is a company, or it's a brand, I suppose I would say. It's a, it's a, a company or a brand that sells uh, beauty devices, essentially is our, our bread and butter. We have a line of, the, of products called the Luna products that, you know, come in various sizes and shapes. And 
and uh, vibrational frequencies and things like that, that are really, you know, for, for a long time, uh, when I was first brought on, our main competitor was Clarisonic. Our goal was, hey, let's, let's you know, become them. And, and it turns out that we've grown to be larger than Clarisonic. Clarisonic, you know, actually shut their doors a few months ago. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a company that is very innovative. We have a number of other lines, our UFO line, our uh, bear line, which, which our bear line is a microcurrent device that, that sort of removes wrinkles and tightens muscles and, and things of that nature on your face. UFO does uh, LED light treatment, vibrational treatment, um, heating and cooling treatments on your, on your face in conjunction with a number of uh, sheet masks that kind of help absorb various, I don't know what to call it, various uh, product into your face. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's been a very interesting company to work for. So the way that it's structured is we have, uh, you know, one main hub in the U.S. that is Freo Inc. It's, it's located in Las Vegas, as well as a number of main hubs uh, in other places in the world. Um, our largest hub would be in Shanghai, China. So that's where our Asian uh, headquarters are located. We also have a very large office in Zagreb, Croatia, which is where our European office um, sort of is headquartered. And then we have these sort of second sub subsidiary or whatever you want to call them, smaller market hubs in places like London and Moscow, uh, Melbourne, Australia, Madrid, Spain, um, some other places as well, you know, Sao Paulo, Brazil, Mexico City. But but we have a number of these, these smaller offices that uh, work in conjunction with the larger offices. Well, thanks for that introduction. I think that's helpful uh, to all. And um, in your role as uh, Vice General Manager and General Counsel at Foreo, is there something uh, that, you know, continues to be a difficult task um, uh, that you have as part of your job? Um, I would say the obvious one because of the, the forum that we're on right now is, you know, brand protection is, and I really can't overstate this, like totally integral to my role to the company's success, I mean, going through and, and working with, with yourself and, and everyone else at Red Points, I mean, that's that's probably on a day-to-day -day or a weekly basis, that is one of my main focuses and something that, you know, we we really need to make sure that we spend adequate time and money preparing for and addressing because, you know, it's it's there there are so many fake products coming from China or counterfeit products or workaround devices that maybe don't use our trademarks or copyrighted images and and uh, instead, you know, violate our utility patent rights that, that we sort of have to constantly be on alert. And, you know, that that is something that I would say is is very important and difficult. And, and the other side, I would say it's um, just sort of frail the way it is structured, because we have so many sort of subsidiary offices or small offices throughout the globe that each have their own cultural perspective on how things can be done. Determining a single unifying marketing message for the brand can be quite difficult. I mean, that's something that I've, we've really gotten into in the last year, which is, you know, a certain message may speak one way to North American consumers, but very differently to Brazilian consumers and, and extremely differently to, let's say, Chinese or South Korean consumers. So on a more heady or, or higher level kind of uh, aspect, it, it's that I would say is, is probably the trickiest thing for a large brand that has offices and, and you know, I mean, not offices, but we, we service like 80 some countries. So that that to me is the you know, non-legal, non-brand protection side thing that is always something that you have to kind of focus on and work on and refine because there is so much variety and diversity out there. Yeah, I think it, it to me, it sounds like, you know, one of the great things about the company is it's so global and probably one of the more challenging uh, parts of the company is that it's so global, right? I mean, sure. both a, a blessing and a curse. Yeah, I mean, mostly a blessing, a little bit of a curse. I think sometimes <laughs> on the curse side, you get the, the too many cooks in the kitchen kind of thing where you, right, you know, right. you got 15 country GMs that all want to have their input and you, you know, then you end up 
almost get it not not nowhere, but you you have discussions that are you know a little bit longer than perhaps you would like them to be to to make sort of easier decisions. But but generally, it's a blessing. I mean, it's I've worked with so many different and interesting and, and diverse people that I uh, you know that I never anticipated that I would have. But, you know, I'm, I'm very appreciative for the opportunity on on that end as well. Evan, one of, one of the things I was thinking about, we've had this conversation a couple of times throughout the the years that we've known each other uh, about, you know, you, your business is, is in brick and mortars. There's a lot of uh, retailers that carry your product. Uh, yet at the same time, you do a lot of e-commerce. Uh, what do you see that's like, you know, uh, now, you know, it, it, as world's changed a little bit during the pandemic, how, how do you see that uh, parallel business strategy from, uh, brick and mortar and e-commerce. Sure. Um, well, I mean, it's <clears throat> at some level, it's you know a continuation of the trend that everyone has been anticipating and seeing over the last few years. Uh, and maybe continuation isn't the right word. I think acceleration is probably the correct word. Um, you know, we've been preparing for the last two to three years, um, ever since I've been the, the vice GM at least, to say, okay, we anticipate, you know, a significant portion. You know, who knows what percentage, but a significant portion of our brick and mortar sales to transition into either e-commerce via the same channel, i.e. I would have bought it at Sephora, but I bought it at Sephora.com, um, or people that are going to be migrating towards more and more Amazon purchases or Freo.com purchases. Um, what COVID did was just accelerate it to the you know nth degree. I mean, it went from a point where we were maybe, gosh, I don't know, 60% brick and mortar um, for most of 2019 into being something like 80 to 85% uh, e-commerce. You know, it, what, what was really interesting to me, however, though, is that the splits didn't change all that much. So, you know, an Alto or a Sephora or a Nordstrom, you know, if they were selling X number of dollars that was, let's say, two thirds brick and mortar versus one third online, it turned out that, you know, they were st- they still in 2020 sold a similar um, amount of product in terms of dollar value. But, you know, it just went to 90, 10 online versus in store. So so that was the thing that was interesting is you didn't see a diminishment of demand, even though you know, this was a very difficult year for, for just about everybody in the world. Um, that, that to me was encouraging and, and sort of led me to believe that we're on the right path. Um, the other side of this is that we're really, really going to push our .com more and more uh, over the next couple of years. I mean, that, that obviously is sort of a, a solution to, I wouldn't say it's a problem, but it's, it's a solution to allow consumers to get more familiar with the brand and, and you know, continue to grow on that e-commerce platform. Yeah, and and sort of based on that, you know, answer, um, how do you see, you know, sort of brand protection, you know, changing, right? In terms of, as more of it moves to e-commerce, you know, more customers might have the opportunity to be mis misled uh-huh. uh, or whatever. Does that change the way in which you think of the strategy for your role as it relates to the company? As the company does its marketing difference, what does that do to the the IP legal uh, risk perspective. Yes, it does. I mean, it changes the way the way I look at things fairly significantly. Um, <clears throat> on the one hand, you know, and, and I'll sort of step back and get into the generalized. You know, the internet is a very wonderful place, and you know, has has brought lots of benefits and lots of sort of negative sides. On the one hand, you know, we we've had billions of people seeing our products every year, and that's very exciting. I mean, and, and I don't really exaggerate when I say billions. I suspect that, you know. Uh, Probably over a billion people have have seen our products. It's sort of hard with you know unique views and what's a unique view versus just a view and that kind of thing. But but over the last few years, I'm very confident in saying that billions of people have seen Freo products. On the other hand, uh, people who are perhaps not as educated about you know e-commerce platforms and, and the Ebay's and the Amazons of the world or whomever excuse me whomever else may be selling 
counterfeit products, you know, have seen a product that they believe to be ours and then received a product that is of low quality or potentially, uh, you know, even dangerous in some cases if they're using cheap batteries and attributes that to us, which is concerning. So <clears throat> the steps that I've really taken would be twofold. Um, the first would be um, through the PR team and, and through our marketing strategy and social media, you know, you need to educate consumers. We're sort of lucky in that in the U.S., you know, consumers are generally fairly savvy. So, so we're, we're very lucky in that regard. However, in other markets that maybe, you know, consumers, you know, the, the internet might just quite frankly be a newer thing in, in some parts of um, other portions of the world. And, you know, you need to, need to really spend that time and money to make sure that, you know, hey, you know, this website is known for selling fakes. Hey, here are some ways you can tell whether this is a counterfeit product or a legitimate product, um, all of that kind of thing. And, and of course, the number one goal and the number one, um, you know, success metric for for myself is is you know are consumers generally becoming you know more confident and less confused as to what's a legitimate freo and what's not and in terms of just this brand protection side uh, you know consumer trust is is paramount to us and, and we want to make sure that everybody is that, that has ever purchased a freo product or is thinking of one is is very confident in the product that they'll purchase or receive um, the second side would be at a more technical level we've really expanded our um, ip filings specifically for trademarks and designs uh, when I first arrived here, we were filing in perhaps, I don't know, five to 10 countries, you know, designs may be closer to five, trademarks closer to 10 to 12. Uh, we're now at the point where we're filing trademarks in, in dozens of countries, um, design patents in, you know, probably a dozen, 12, 15 countries, um, our utility patents in, in a similar amount. We just uh, received word that our Luna patent will be granted. So we're basically covering just about every country in Europe, which, you know, five, six years ago probably would not have been the case when it was much more difficult to find fakes. So, you know, and I'm using fakes very loosely. I mean, I, I, that encompasses counterfeit products as well as utility infringers when I use that sure. term. But, um, you know, it's, it's really, you know, investing more time and money as well as, you know, working with, with people like Red Points and, and, you know, myself and outside counsel filing lawsuits against particular infringers. I mean, you know, this, this trend is, is just going to continue and, you know, you'll see more counterfeit products, but, but I think in the long run, it's going to benefit the company more than it'll uh, be a detriment to us. Yeah, and, and thank you for the relationship. It has been a good relationship working with you, uh, Redpoints and 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 Foreo. I, I do think that, um, you know, when I think about your strategy, right? I mean, not as many companies as you would think are doing the educational piece and mm -hmm. trying to help customers, you know, separate. And then I think your aggressive approach in filings, you know, is a good strategy, right? Again, uh, both cost money, both take a lot of effort, and but certainly. Uh, I think sets Foreo aside as one of those forward-thinking companies trying to solve that. So great, great, great to hear. Yeah, thank you. And and one of the things that I found interesting about, especially the education side, is um, you know, you know, Western world, sort of U.S., you know, Canada, North America. Generally, like I said, people are fairly savvy with the internet. However, it's it's sort of those you know smaller markets, like like in particular, I spoke with the GM of Turkey a, a couple months ago, and it was like. You know, that, that's where you really can see that immediate impact with the education. Turkey, Brazil, uh, places where people at one level, you know, Mexico City is a good example, you know, didn't have a lot of trust that whatever they were going to order was going to be legitimate. Um, and, you know, through through some of these education programs, you can say, hey, no, this, you know, this thing that you're ordering, it's coming from Freo.com. It's going to be totally fine. And if you have an issue, you can always call us and, you know, we'll send you something new or, or whatever needs to happen. So it's... Yeah. it's it's been beneficial. It is difficult, though. I mean, it's yep. especially across multiple markets where you're trying to figure out which angle should you use per market. Right. That's great. Listen, one thing I wanted to ask you is, uh, is there a, a myth that 
you often find, you know, when people hear what you do as an IP patent lawyer and, and, you know, obviously vice general counsel? So to an extent, I mean, I think that, you know, when I was younger, um, I would find a lot more lawyer jokes or you would hear a lot more lawyer jokes or maybe it's because I was younger and they stuck out to, stuck out to me. Um, generally, I get off the hook when I say I'm an IP attorney because people hear that and they kind of go, I don't really know what that is maybe or, you know, patent law, like, what is that? Is that some, something for my, you know, like uh, music or something? And I was like, no, 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 you kind of explain it. And you don't get that that negative connotation that perhaps if I said I was a, you know, no offense, a, a personal injury lawyer. You kind of get get a, a very different reaction when when somebody hears that. Um, you know, I I haven't really experienced anything overly negative in the sense that you know people coming to me saying you know I, I know how you lawyers work. You guys you know you know work one hour and bill four. No, I've never had anything of that nature. But but I am in sort of a very niche area where if people you know are familiar with sure. IP law, they kind of probably understand the the complexities and the you know what what the day to day is a little bit like maybe. Well, that's great. Listen, as long as you're the one making fun of the lawyers, it's I feel safer uh, on this side of the uh, microphone. I'm gonna have I'm gonna have ten defamation suits from from you know personal injury lawyers that you know. Yes. But uh, no, I mean you know actually my dad you know does personal injury law to some extent, it's primarily divorce law at this stage in his career. So I guess you know when he listens to this podcast, I'm sure he'll uh, call me up and or send me a text saying you know, uh, of course if you need a personal injury lawyer, you can call. No, no, I'm just kidding. But I actually added that part out. But, uh, but uh, that was <laughs> we're leaving the part about your dad in, just so you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Mike uh, Bima from Wall Clipper, he's the general counsel over at Wall. Uh, we spoke to him recently on one of our podcasts, and uh, he he had a question for you, Evan. Okay. And his question was, if you could only watch one movie for the rest of your life, what movie would it be? Oh, that's a tough question for Mike. He, you know, one movie for the rest of my life. Um, gosh. So, so there are a couple of things that popped to mind and, you know, I'll have to, I guess, come down and on like a decision hard here, I guess. But a couple of things that, that sort of cycle through my mind are, you know, it's hard to pick without picking a genre. So, you know, I really like, you know, let's say, you know, traditional kind of action movies. So like the first really memorable movie theater experience I had that, you know, I remember to this day was the movie Gladiator. I remember going at like 1040 at night, I was like 12 years old. I was, you know, through the roof ecstatic that I was going to be able to stay up till two in the morning. And, uh, you know, that, that to me is one that like, you know, thoroughly enjoy. I've probably seen it 50 times and, and, you know, that, that's the first thing that pops to mind. Um, a second would be something like, cause I kind of like, you know, I'm not going to say sci-fi kind of movies, you know, Christopher Nolan kind of stuff, interstellar, which I actually just watched a couple weeks ago. Very kind of interesting, definitely not all that realistic of a movie in some ways, but but uh, that's something that's it's sort of long and dense and entertaining and you can unpack. I mean, you know, comedy movies I thoroughly enjoy, like you know, There's Something About Mary might be my favorite, but, uh, you know, there's, there's a little bit less to unpack. I think if you're only watching one movie the rest of your life, you probably want something that has a little bit more depth than, let's say, Dumb and Dumber, um, but uh, which, which is a funny movie in its own way, but like... You know, that, that, those would be the first things that pop to mind. I mean, some other ones that, you know, I've seen a million times. Indiana Jones movies are always, you know, you can put that on Sunday afternoon's background and sort of come and go as you please. And, uh, but I would say probably Gladiator would be my answer. What, what would yours be? 
Listen, I, I think with all the different movies you gave me, we're going to have to call Mike back up and ask him if your answer from one lawyer to the other was satisfactory since since you didn't actually pick one until the very end. But I'm uh, glad just going through my thought process. Listen, I feel proud to have been through your thought process and got to see how it works. So I appreciate being part of that. Uh, if I had to pick one movie. Yeah, a lawyer would advise me to answer in, answer in uh, one word sentences. So I could have just said, you know, gladiator and, and then stared at you. I'd probably go like you and I'd say James Bond, but I'd like to take the whole pack, right, of James Bond. But if I, I, you know, I don't know if I could pick one James Bond, but I, that sort of does it for me. Um, That's a good answer. Skyfall would be my would be my one James Bond. <laughs> Skyfall is a good one. Good. So um, if you if you could give some advice to a young person, you know, in college thinking about their career and was looking for a mentor to say, hey, what do you think I ought to do? Or what advice would you give them to follow? So that's that's a good question. If we're talking sort of, I'm going to remove myself from the lawyer thing and just give generalized not, um, advice, I, I would say. Um, you know, the, the first is it's going to sound very kind of cliche, but it's, you know, you know, work hard, work smart, and try and have some fun as well. I mean, you know, one of the, one of the things that I really appreciate when I, you know, I'm in a management role, so I, you know, have a lot of interaction with with various people in, in different departments here. And, you know, the one thing that you really can't replicate, no matter how intelligent somebody might be or whatever skill set they might have, is a good work ethic. And, and if you don't have a good work ethic, and now I really sound like I'm 84 years old, but if you don't have, you know, that, that work ethic, no matter what other skills you have, unless you just are absolutely gifted to an extent that, that very few people are, uh, you know, life and your career is going to be a little bit difficult. Um, the other thing I would I would advise is, you know, I know that follow your passion is something that sometimes is true, maybe isn't good advice sometimes, but it's try, try and find a niche, um, try and find something that, you know, and, and it's tough to do when you're young, but as you age, try and find something that you think is something that you could be either better at or more interested at or more dedicated towards that perhaps other people don't do. Um, you know, the, the best example I can give, I guess, in my personal life would be, you know, being a registered patent attorney. I think like, you know, half of 1% of all attorneys are registered patent attorneys. So it is like this this kind of little niche, but you know whatever fields you're going into, those would be, you know, I think generally two two good pieces of advice, as well as you know take some time to to make sure life is is good for you. There's more to life than work. Uh, as you age, that becomes more and more apparent. You know, it's more pain for me at 33 than than at 29, let's say, and, and that's not a huge uh, time period to split. So you know, you know, it's, you know, work out, eat healthy, go do some fun stuff, spend some time with friends because. You know, you don't want to look at your life when you're 45 or 40 or whatever the age might be and say, yeah, you know, I had a lot of freedom when I was 29, but I was at the office from eight to eight every day. So I understand that there's a little bit of a dichotomy between saying, you know, work hard and go have some fun. But, you know, those are two pieces of advice that, that I think are pretty much universally applicable. Yes. Uh, very good advice for young people. Uh, I think bo both those uh, uh, pieces are great advice as, as well as, uh, you know, taking care of yourself. I think uh, very, very good. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, is there anyone in uh, your career that's inspired you as, as you've done your work? Is there, even in this own industry, you know, like a hero of yours in the world of IP, you know, IP law, oh, grant protection, or even just a general mentor as a whole? I mean, I would say that, um, and I referenced them very briefly earlier, um, you know, the, the two mentors that I've had in terms of work would be, you know, Matt Buchanan, who I learned a ton from on the, on the technical side and on the IP side, extremely, extremely helpful. I mean, and I'm going to 
so as an aside, we'll cut this part out. There isn't really like a, a hero, so I'm just going to kind of give a couple like you know general things. I mean, that, that's yeah. Um, the other guy that I, I learned a lot from and really appreciate. Listen, if, if you want to mention me, that's fine. But go ahead, do your answer. Go ahead. Yeah, no, that was the, the I, you didn't say the word idle, so that I was waiting for that. That was the one that was for you. Uh, <laughs> but uh, gosh, what I was going to say. And then the other person would be Davor Soldo, the general manager that hired me here. I mean, <clears throat> he gave me a, a ton of opportunities, and, and I learned a lot from Davor specifically about how to uh, manage people. You know, I would say that, that the IP side is a very technical sort of. Um, exclusive or, or sort of you're alone a lot, sort of with your own thoughts, trying to determine how to proceed. Whereas, you know, I learned a ton from Davor about how can you, you know, how to work with people essentially and, and work cross-functionally across departments, which which was very helpful. And of course, you know, growing up, my my parents both, you know, set very good examples for me and, and all of that. But, you know, that's a very cliched response. But true, right? I mean, that's important. Listen, yeah, thank you. Is. I mean, that, that, those are your problems. You know, for most people, those are your you know, heroes is kind of a strong word, of but, course. but they set the example for the, for most people. Yeah. Very, very good. So, uh, Evan, uh, following, uh, your podcast, we'll be speaking with Carrie Hediati, who is the, uh, intellectual property counsel for a hundred percent. Uh, is there something you'd like to ask her? I don't know if you know her or. I do not. I've not met Carrie. I know that I believe she was on the, um, the brand protection council that you guys did. I, I, I vaguely recall the name and, and looking up her bio. Um, Carrie, my, my question for you would be, if you could go out to dinner with any three living people, who would they be and why? That's a really great question. Who who would the three be for you, uh, Evan? Uh, Barack Obama would probably be one of them. You know, just, just in this, I don't know, we can take, cut this out if you want. For the political side, it would be fascinating to go out to dinner, <laughs> dinner with Trump, wouldn't it? I mean, that, that would, I mean, it would be interesting. I don't know that, whether I would enjoy it, but this is probably just for our own discussion. But it would be fascinating, right? right. It would have to exactly. be. Well, Evan, thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. It's been a pleasure to hear your story. been a pleasure to get your advice and your insights on the business. And uh, we thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. And, and it's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. It was very interesting to learn about your journey. And for me, the advice you shared about managing your own career really resonated. Three topics come to mind. They were work hard, work smart, have fun, and have a lot of interactions with others to help you find what you're looking for. Number two, try to find a niche. Find something you could be passionate about or even something you can do better. And three, lawyers really never give a one-sentence answer, but rather like more like a paragraph after going through a whole lot of iteration or thought process. So that's it for us today. If you've liked what you've heard, Check out our next inspiring story from another hero of brand protection. You can follow us on all of our platforms, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, as well as Twitter and LinkedIn. Make it a good day.